All right, Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to start here in Matthew 8 and come to verse number 1. When he was come down from the mountain, the great multitude followed him. And again, last time we finished up chapters 5, 6, 7, and the Sermon on the Mount. If you come back to chapter 5 and verse 1, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. Now in 8.1, he's come down in the mountain. So we've finished up uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and now we're going to move. If you look here at eight, chapter 8, verse 2, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst cleanse me. And what is going to happen now uh, starting here in, in chapter 8, uh, really 8, 9, and 10, is there's going to now be a series of miracles that Christ performs. Now, the order of these miracles um, are going to demonstrate some things, and really that they are uh, representative miracles. Matthew does not, nor uh, doesn't attempt, nor is his purpose, to place these in any chronological order. And we have to remember that. Matthew, and the order in Matthew is not the same order as you're going to find in Mark and in Luke and in John. When we studied Luke, they, boom, John. John only had eight miracles in it, because he had eight, th or seven well, eight, okay, eight of them, all right? Because he was doing something very specific. Matthew is doing the same thing here. And what Matthew is doing is he is gathering up the information, okay? And he's going to put it on the table for you. And what he's d doing here is he's demonstrating that the Lord Jesus Christ is Israel's Messiah, and he's going to do it in a dispensational manner. Now, what that will tell us is then is that these miracles represent things. They're going to represent some truths that he's trying to get across. He, he's, again, he's not trying to give a chronological order. Uh, that's, you get that when you study Mark, which when we get done with Matthew, we'll study Mark. But we did it in Luke. That's why Luke took so long, three years. Matthew won't. We'll be done in about a year, year, year and a half, two years, maybe three, could be four. Just depends. Okay? But Matthew, Mark and Luke do that. And again, when you look at these miracles as we're going to go through them, and then you run to the counter, the comparative passages in Mark and Luke and even in John, you'll see that they're, they're dealt with differently. Now, none of these miracles in Matthew are dealt with in such a detailed manner as, as they are in Luke and in Mark, okay? Because Matthew's intention is not to give you all the details of the events, but rather it's to show you a dispensational viewpoint on the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we go down through this passage, we are going to go very quickly because the details are quick. Okay, and he doesn't give a lot of 
you know, then he, then he had this and then he had that. He's boom, 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 okay? So when you have to, re you have to remember that Matthew is presenting the Lord as the king. So dispensationally in Israel's history, it's time for the what? The kingdom is at hand and here's the king. And that's really what we're doing here. So we'll see some things as we go through here. They're, they're, again, they're not laid out. If you look at verse number 2, they're not in chronological order, if you remember that, and they're representative. They're going to show some things, okay? Um, if you look at 8.2, and behold, there came a leper. He's going to heal the leper. Now, the leper is going to demonstrate, is a demonstration and type of Israel's great need. It's a picture of the nation. We'll, we'll see that here as we go. What does Israel need? They need to be cleansed, cleaned up. What's Christ going to do? Clean them up. Then if you look at in verse 5, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, the centurion is a Gentile. And he's going to, by the way, the Lord's going to heal the man's son, but he's going to do it from afar. He's going to do it far off. Well, what is Israel supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be out there amongst and, and preaching the channel of blessings to the Gentiles. They're not. They're rejecting them. So he's going to get them. Then you come to Peter's mother-in-law, verse 14. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. Well, Christ goes in and he heals her. She's, she was restless and helpless. He restored her just as he, he's going to. So here is Israel's Messiah coming back and restoring his people. So as we go down through this, we're going to see those kind of things, if you will, being representative in their nature, okay? So come on over, if you will, to, uh, well, you're in Matthew 8, so let's just start there. Again, these are all representatives. He's going to prove himself to be the promised Messiah. And as he, as as Matthew begins to describe for you these miracles, they're going to demonstrate that issue, okay? So we're going to go quickly. We may even get through the whole chapter tonight. We'll see how it goes because the stuff is fast. You read it, boom, you just, he just moves. He doesn't... Luke was very detailed. Man, when we get into Mark, Mark, because it's an action book, shows all the activity. It's like, whoa! You know, where he's going to spend one, two, three verses, the leper. In Mark, he spends a, almost half a chapter about this because of all the detail. Here, not so far. So don't worry about it being out of order. You know, the, the only people who are concerned about the order are the people who try to make it all work together. The four Gospels are four different portraits of the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The king, the servant, the man, and who he is as God. When you catch that, guess what happens? They literally harmonize. 
when you understand that. If you don't understand that, they don't harmonize. It was like, wait a minute, in a minute we'll get down here uh, and, and he's going to go into the, to the country of the, of, of the garrisons. And you go over and you read Mark and it's the Gadarenes. And there's one guy there and there's two guys here. And it's like, oh no, see? Well, they're not exactly the same event. <laughs> Duh. But that's okay, we'll talk about it when we get there. So let's just jump in and we'll go as far as we can and uh, we'll be good with that. 8-2, if you will. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Again, the, the leper, what a fitting type for the nation of Israel. Uh, it's a type of incurable, it's, it's, it's a type of the incurable nature of the defilement of sin, it's been said. <laughs> And you know what? It's a great way to begin where he's going to manifest now to the nation of Israel that he is the Messiah. If you come back with me to Isaiah chapter 1, all of these um, issues, he's going to prove that he is the Messiah. Isaiah 1, um, on your way you can get Isaiah, uh, well, let's go to 1. I think it's 35. Yeah, in Isaiah 35, there's a whole list of stuff in there about what the Messiah is going to do when he comes back and heal the blind, uh, heal the lame man, take care of the leper, this and that. So when he's doing this, what should the nation be saying? There's the Messiah, but they don't. They reject him, they ignore him, they go away. Isaiah 1, look at verse number 5. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head, and that's the, of the nation, the whole head of the nation is sick, and the whole heart, again, the nation, faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with or the whole body. Go back there to Matthew 8. The whole body of the nation was corrupt. They had not made any attempt to get it right, to, mollify, to put on the ointment, to bound it up, to fix it. So the first miracle here in Matthew, the healing of the leper, the, it's going to be a type of the condition of Israel. The great need of the nation was to do what this leopard did, and that was to come to Christ to be healed, but they don't do that. Chapter 8, verse 3, watch what Christ does for him. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him and saying, I will be, uh, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was clean. He just reached out, touched the guy, and what's he do? He's restored. Now, in the Old Testament, if you touch that leper, he's unclean, you become unclean. Well, the Lord's not any typical man <laughs> here. But he demonstrates who he is. Who is he? He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is different than anyone else. And again, that's what, he, what Matthew is putting up there. 
Here's the king. Here's the Messiah. Here's the Son of God. Here he is. Verse 4, And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now you've got to notice this very carefully. Because this, again, a great verse here to, to, to show people who just say, uh, they just believe in the words of Jesus, then do they go do this? What did he just tell this guy to go do? He just told him to go, according to Leviticus 14, do the blood sacrifice. <laughs> we don't, I don't know anybody who does that anymore. You get in trouble. The government will come get you. Okay? But where did he go? He's supposed to go to who? The priest. Show himself. Now, I would think that the priest would know Isaiah 35 and the list of the things where the leper is going to be, the Messiah is going to do, and one of that's the cleansing of the leper. I would think the priest would say, oh, hold on a minute here. We, <laughs> who is this guy? But they don't. They reject him. You see, by the way, who are the priests? Israel. They're a nation of priests. They should have known, but they don't. So you've got a picture here of the condition in Israel. They need to be cleaned up. Verse 5, And when Jesus entered, was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Isn't it interesting? The centurion is a Gentile. And what, is the, what does he know? Christ was sent not to the lost, but to, uh, not to the Gentiles, but to who? The lost. He doesn't want him to come. Just, I know there's authority in your word. That's what verse 10 or verse 9 is doing. He goes, I know what authority is. If I say go, what do they do? Yeah, maybe next week. <laughs> no, 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 they go. You see, he's a Gentile. The Lord says, I'll come and heal him. The centurion says, no, he's way over yonder. You heal him from here. Now, what that is a picture in Israel's history is a picture of that distant cry for help by the Gentiles. They want, the Gentiles are wanting the help... <clears throat> they're wanting to be cleansed. Now, Christ didn't come to just cleanse Israel. He came to cleanse Israel so that through them, he would then reach that Gentile world. That's the whole of the Abrahamic covenant. And by the way, in the Old Testament, over and over and over and over and over again, you see that. In the Gospels, you see Christ look out yonder to those nations, look over to them. His heart longed. He, you read that passage. Hold on to here. Come over to Romans. Uh, 
15. Romans 15. Just, he, see, the Lord's heart longed for the Gentiles, but he longed for the Gentiles to go, to go through Israel, let Israel, Abraham's seed was to be that channel of blessing. Israel just wasn't going to have it. They just said, we, they, they just completely rejected him. Look at Romans 15. Start in verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. That's usually where we stop that verse. You need to read to continue. Why was he the minister of the circumcision? To confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Now that's Gen Genesis 12 in the Abrahamic covenant. But now watch. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing. On, that's Psalms 18. Verse 10, and again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his, there's Deuteronomy 32, and again, praise the Lord all ye Gentiles, and laud him all ye people, there's Psalms 117, and again Isaiah saith, here's Isaiah 11, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. I mean, Paul brings this up, see that? That's been, the cry, that's been the heart tug of the Lord since day one. Because, now come back there to, to Matthew on your way, come over to Luke 7. So the Gentiles are ready. That's what the centurion is showing. They're, he's, they're ready to hear and to receive him. But what's the problem? The channel of blessing isn't, it's all plugged up. <laughs> Israel doesn't have any faith. That's what he said. Hey, I, mar I have not found so great faith not in Israel. What? They're just not there. Israel won't get up and go. So what's he going to do? Well, he's going to let Israel be burned up in that tribulation that's coming. We'll see this as we go in there. He's going to take that believing remnant onto the kingdom. And when you see Christ heal the centurion here, he's doing it as the son of Abraham. That's what he's doing here. Now, look at Luke 7, because here's the parallel passage. By the way, Luke 7, you start in verse 1, and you run all the way down to verse 10. Ten verses on this. And in Matthew, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. See, the more detail in Luke, okay? Luke 7, verse 2, notice. And a certain centurion servant was, who was dear unto him. See, you didn't get that in Matthew, did you? It was just a centurion. Was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard of Jesus... He sent unto him the, elder, to him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. 
for he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. Now, do you see why they say this Gentile's worthy? What did he do? He blessed Israel. What is Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12? I will, verse 3, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse him. You don't get that in Matthew. See, he just, he just showed up and we did it. You see, now come back to Matthew 8. The centurion came to Christ, but when he came to Christ, he came to Christ through Israel. And when he did that, he got the blessing. So Christ here, as the son of Abraham, ready to reach out to the Gentiles, but who's, holding, who's slowing the program down? Israel is. Okay? So back in Matthew 8, verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that, those verses right there, and Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way and... As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Verse number 11. When you think about uh, the chart here uh, and the tribulation, I'll just put it up here. You got the trib. That's where we're at. Okay? 70th week, second coming. There's a space in there going into the kingdom. In Daniel, there's 75 days there. Okay? Revelation talks about a resurrection, the first resurrection. That resurrection is the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints, anybody, the little flock. Okay? Everybody, boom, they're resurrected into the kingdom. Now, look here at what he says. When they go, verse 11, when they go into that kingdom, what are they going to do? They're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Does any of these people know what any, those three men look like? But they'll, they'll know who they are. Okay? When they sit down over there, there's not going to be a, hey, how you doing? What is your name? They're going to know it. They'll instantly know it. By the way, that helps you and I understand what happens over there because we too will instantly know everyone. It won't be a place card. I like that. Okay? A name tag or a lanyard with an ID on it. You'll instantly know it. But also look there at verse 12. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There's some going to go into the kingdom, and there's some that are going to ha have to go over there in front of that great white throne judgment and be cast out into the lake of fire. But notice who he calls them. Children of the kingdom. You see, in the kingdom over there, the Gentiles are going to go in. And they're going to sit down 
with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they're going to know who they are. But that apostate nation out there who's rejected Christ, rejected the little flock's ministry, they're cast off into the lake of fire, out in the outer darkness. The little flock will go into the kingdom, be the rulers in the kingdom, 12 thrones, 12 tribes of Israel, judging the Gentiles. But that apostate Israel is going to get cast out. That's why he says to the Pharisees over there, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We're going to take it from you guys, and we're going to give it to a nation. Not nations, but a nation, that little flock nation. That's why when I drew this way back when, you've got the nation here. You've got the apostate nation of Israel. And then inside of it, you have another nation, John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, the Twelve, the little flock. Okay? It's going to go into Calvary. That early Acts period, see, this group right here, they've been out here getting these guys to come in and do and be a part of everything, and water baptism is the way in and all that good stuff. This apostate group out here, they're going to go into great white throne judgment. That's tough. They're gonna, there's going to be this apostate nation over here that's going to sign the deed, the deal with the Antichrist. Then they're going to take that mark of the beast. And when they do that, there's no hope for them. There's no, well, maybe next week we'll do something. No, they're gone. What's fascinating about the verses here in verse 11 and 12 is you instantly know that all those of Israel are not Israel, as Paul says. Not all of the descendants of Abraham are going to get into that kingdom. That's the point. Why? Because they've rejected that believing remnant, that little flock, all through there. That looks like a ACB, doesn't it? <laughs> it's Acts. Got to be there when I write it. We get the new camera set up. Everybody online can read that. They can't read it right now, so we can fudge it. But I have to get some new chalk. <laughs> all right, verse 13. And Jesus said unto the centurion, watch what happens here. He's going to be healed, and, he, and, and, and his servant was healed in the, safe, the self same hour. Jesus looks out over that crowd of, in the picture here, the type, of those Gentiles on that great day of going into the kingdom, into that millennium. And as they sit back, and as they're really waiting for Israel to get their act together, he just, boom, they're in, and they get the blessings. So, the first thing here, Romans 8, I'm sorry, Matthew 8, is Israel needs, has to recognize who's in their midst. They miss him. Then the second one is, is that, they, that there's some things that they need to be doing, and they're not. You see, folks, the nation is in unbelief. Judgment is coming on them. He's warning them. He's giving them an entire 
dispensational picture, one lesson right after the other, right here. He's, doing, he's laying it out. Boom, boom, boom. And they're missing it. So the leper, what do they need? He needs to be, they need to be cleaned. The centurion, they need to be out there doing their job. Now you come to Peter's wife. Romans 8, verse 14. Notice, when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. Peter's wife's mother, mother-in-law here. And uh, he didn't, <laughs> he, he, he made a bad pope, didn't he? He had a wife. <laughs> okay? That, um... Dad had said one time about putting, putting the title of a message as the Pope's wife. <laughs> I wrote that down, sorry, I just had to. Look at that, verse 15, and he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and ministered unto the... Christ goes into Peter's house where his mother-in-law lays sick. He's in the midst of a family relationship, son-in-law, mother-in-law picturing how Christ belonged to Israel according to the flesh. He's Israel's Messiah. And there Israel lays sick of a fever. And he comes in and he touches her. He is personally present when he heals her. And what did she get up and do? And ministered to him. You see, when Christ comes in and heals her, the fever was subdued by his presence. He touches her. She's healed. The picture here then is Israel is going to rise up in the strength of, of a new devotion to serving. But Israel needed his personal touch. They needed his personal presence. But what did they do? They don't accept it. They just reject him. Verse 16, when the even was come, they, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself, saying himself, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, that's the Isaiah 53 passage, okay? When Christ comes, the multitudes are healed. A type of Israel's restitution, uh, restoration back up there pictured in verse 15. She arose and ministered unto them. When they bring the multitudes to, that, to Peter's house, the house of the restored lady, his mother-in-law's home, he begins to heal them. Israel's restoration program is going to do the same thing. They're going to bring people from every part of the land. They're going to come, and there's going to be some things in the kingdom. There's going to be 12 trees that they can come up, and it's there for the healing of the nations. And they're going to participate in that. It's interesting that he cast out demons and devils. Evil spirits cast them out. They'll no more grieve the people. So what do you see? 
Here he is, the Son of Man, and, who, and he's casting out Satan. He's healing all manner of sickness and diseases. He's, he's doing the two great demonstrations of the kingdom. Casting out the devils and healing all manner of sicknesses and diseases. Isn't that interesting? That's where we're at. Verse 17, he says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. And again, that issue there of it's being fulfilled. <laughs> he, the result of the blessing in verse 14 and 15 her ministering going out for all the people. They brought them all in. He heals them all, by the way. I, I love that. He healed them all. A type of the millennial kingdom. Again, where the blessings are available for all. But only when Israel is restored back to proper service. But notice how verse 17 says it, that it might be fulfilled. And I'll be honest with you, that issue of being fulfilled is all through the, the Gospels, specifically. And many things that the Lord done, is going to do, or ha, well, that's being done, is so that it might be fulfilled. And when we were studying John, I showed you that over and over. He, he said this so that it would be fulfilled. He did this so it would be fulfilled. He just fulfilling, because who is he? He's Jehovah. He's their Messiah. He's their king. And what's interesting is, in verse 17, is that he's, the fulfillment of it there of Isaiah 53, by the way, all through Matthew, we'll see this term, that it might be fulfilled. It actually started back in Matthew 1. And, and I'm not going to be able to point all these out as we go through it, but I'll just stick it in the back of your mind. Verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, and off he goes. If you follow that phrase, that it might be fulfilled all the way through, you, you'll see a chain begin to show up here that these passages that are being fulfilled are really talking about second coming passages. Not so much first coming, second coming. When he comes second time around, what does he come as? The king. That's who he is. You see, the second coming passages, they're often applied to the first coming, and that's the reason you have confusion. But when the second coming, when you understand that the second coming of Christ is in view here, even in, the, even in Mark and Luke and John and early Acts, that begins to help you understand what's happening and, and again, dispensationally what's going on here because we're having a new opportunity with John the Baptist. And that's going to extend all the way over to the stoning of Stephen. And that opportunity has to do with the Messiah being in Israel's presence now. 
and the fact that her kingdom is at hand. So the, the Gospels here, they're going to use these second coming passages because had Israel accepted him as they should have, they would have, went, they would have had to have offered the sacrifice, as Psalms 118 says that they have to, okay? But they would have offered him in faith rather than wicked hands, rather than unbelief. So when you get into this and we begin to see some of these, don't get tripped up. There's a reason why. Because the way it worked out isn't the way God had intended it to work out. And by the way, they have no idea of the dispensation of grace and the interruption. They are here anticipating going into this. I said it last time or the time before, you figure that believing remnant, they're studying under the Lord, they're getting ready, the kingdom is at hand. He's, he dies, he's buried, he ascends, he, he spends 40 days with them talking about the kingdom. They're sitting there going, wait a minute, we only got like seven and a half years here. We can make this easy. See, maybe well, seven years and nine months, okay? You know, they're like 60 days. There's two, three, two months, right? They're like, woohoo, we can make this. No, and then he just kind of drops in. <laughs> Whoops, we're going to interrupt that bad boy, you know? So when you look at here, when he says this, the fulfillment, verse 18, now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandments to depart under the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now this guy comes along here, and he wants to be Christ's disciple and follow him, but that this is a response to these miracles. Remember when we looked in Luke and we looked in John, and he fed the 5,000, and they said, we want to make you king because you fed us. <laughs> they didn't have it right, okay? That's what this guy's doing. He's going he's gonna to give a response here. The, the, the guy's response of, hey, I'll follow thee, whithersoever thou goest, is he just saw all this happen, and he's like, hey, I'm hitching on to this guy. Because watch, what verse, watch the Lord in verse 20. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath no not where to lay his head. So in other words here, look, buddy, you want to follow me? It's going to cost you. He isn't going to be living high on the hog. He, that guy looks around, sees all this going on, saying, hey, we can make some money at this. And the Lord says, you know what? Do the foxes have holes? Yeah. Do the birds have nests? Yeah. But you know what? I don't have a place to lay my head. Now, that... The literally, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests. But you know what, though? The, the Lord loved camping. We saw that when he was outside of Jerusalem up on Mount Olives, would go spend the night out in the camping and then go into town and then work in the temple when we were in John. I told you he was a camper because the Lord to lay out and look at the starry sky that he spoke into existence was probably a thrill. <laughs> you know, of hey, you know, did you, did you guys see the moon last night and Venus right next to it? 
Linda and I were out for our walk, and I go, yeah, look at that. And she goes, yeah. So we were, I used another planet name. I didn't know what it was. I, this is a North Star. She goes, that ain't North. <laughs> I don't know. I just was good, you know. But, see, he would have just sit there and go, yeah, there's Venus. Hey, you guys want to see Pluto? <laughs> Pull it right up close, you know. <laughs> don't need Star Trek or Space Wars or whatever. You know, see, he was right. It's going to cost you. So this guy's response, we're going to see here, is the issue of, hey, it looks, it looks easy, but it's not. There's a cost to it. There's trouble involved. There's work involved. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. Again, a literal reference, of course, to the, to the foxes and the birds. Uh, it, it, by the way, over there in Luke 13... He says, go tell Herod, the old fox. <laughs> okay. So when you think about this, uh, do, do remember that. Um, look over with me at Luke 8, because you have to, to kind of get the idea here. Again, these miracles are representative. Luke 8. Um, in Scripture, birds of the air are usually repeatedly as types of devils okay so when you have Alfred Hitchcock's the bird movie he's literally playing off some of the typology that was designed to counterfeit the Bible every movie plot out there there's only like seven of them they're all repeats of the, the original come right out of the pages of Scripture okay Look at Luke 8, verse 4, the parable of the sower here. And when, many, and when much people were gathered together and were come up to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seeds, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Now drop down to verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. He's going to explain how to understand the parables. Verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the who? The devil, and what does he do? Take the way, the word out of their hearts. So what does verse 5 say that took away the seed? The birds of the air. Okay. But yet in verse 12, who did the Lord say they represent? The devil. Okay? Again, you go over to Revelation 18, verse 2, same thing over there. Okay? Matthew 13, you see it over there, the birds of the air, um, as, they're, as they're there. So when you, uh, you know, come on over to Revelation 14. Revelation 14. So in the Bible you're going to find birds as a type of demons. And if you, again, take that and apply it into Matthew 8, where he says the fox have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. Okay, where, I'm sorry, hath not where to lay his head. He's warning the guy that the devil and his crowd are treated better than the Son of Man. 
they get, they get the ends. You see, the influence of the adversary over in Israel has gained more acceptance than the influence of the Son of Man. And that was the situation, so therefore you're going to have to pay a great price if you follow me. Now, Revelation 14, 14, okay? As the son of Abraham and as the son of David, he will get the land, he will get the throne, but as the son of man, that's Adam, he's going to get the crown over all the earth. As the Son of God, he gets the crown over the whole universe as he begins to, his reign extends out over everything. So when he says here that he is the Son of Man, the first time the Son of Man, that phrase, occurs in the New Testament is in Matthew 8, verse 20. The last time that it occurs in the New Testament is Revelation 14, 14. Revelation 14, 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat, like unto the Son of Man, having his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, Matthew 8, 20 says what? There's no place for him to lay his head. An uncrowned head, and it had nowhere to lay. And Matthew 14, 14 says, where his head's mentioned again, he has a what on it? He's got a crown. And he's got a sickle. He's ready to reap the harvest. He's ready to come back and to take care of it. So the Son of Man, come back to Matthew 8, is a reference to his earthly ministry. It's a reference to the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first time he came, his head was uncrowned, and he had nowhere to lay it. His followers are going to have to pay the price. So when he comes back the second time, he's going to have a crown on his hand, on his head, and his followers will get the benefits. Matthew 8. By the way, in Paul's epistles, Christ is never referred to as the Son of Man. The term's only found in the Old Testament, the Gospels, and then Hebrews, the Hebrew epistles. It's a title that fits in the prophetic program as it references his earthly ministry. Okay? In Ezekiel, Ezekiel is referred to as son of man, never the son of man, because who is the son of man? The Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 8, verse 20. And as Jesus said unto him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not nowhere to lay his head. Again, the idea there is that there's a price to be paid if you're going to follow Christ. And you're going to have to be willing to pay it. In Matthew 19, the rich young ruler, when we get over there, he comes to Christ, he wants to inherit eternal life. And, and what does Christ tell him? Keep all the commandments. He goes, I did that. Then he adds the new covenant mechanism. Sell. And what did he do? He didn't do it. 
okay? He, he came along, he couldn't get rid of his house, his car, his stuff, okay? That's what he's doing here in Matthew 8. In Matthew 8, 20, he's not saying he didn't literally have a place to sleep at night, okay? Again, he's a camper, okay? He can get out, he can do... The Peter's mother-in-law would never let him lay out in the outside anyway. He just healed her. <laughs> You're staying with me. We got the guest room. You're in. <laughs> okay? But rather, what he's talking about here is he's talking about the cost of following him. Verse 21, 821. You guys with me? See what we're doing? Again, quick. We're already into verse 21. <laughs> And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. <laughs> now, what kind of a disciple is going to say, Me first? Let me first. Suffer me first. Again, who's supposed to be first? Well, the Lord is. So you got a pretty you got a problem here, don't you? See? You got a problem here of not willing to pay the price. If you come back to in chapter six and verse thirty-three, what were what were they to do? What did he tell the disciples? Seek ye first the who? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be. You see, they here comes a guy, I want you to let me be first. I want to go first. And that's not going to work. So 8.22, what did he say? Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. You go over there to Luke 9 and you can read the cross reference over there. And the idea is, is if you want to follow me, you're going to have to, first, and, and you don't want to forsake all, then you're not going to be my disciple. And again, come over to chapter 10. Chapter 10, the Lord didn't come to make peace, to bring peace. He's here doing something. He's here to accomplish something. When we get into Matthew 10 and we see the commission here, verse 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. You see, he had a different kind of ministry here than what everybody out there in Christendom thinks. You know, they... I, I, Follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, a guy on the radio says, we don't have Jesus in this part of the world, we have Jesus. <laughs> it's like, okay, all right. You know, again, it's a, it's a little different than what everybody thinks. When he came, there was a price that had to be paid to follow him. And it wasn't going to be peace. Verse 35. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foe shall be, thy, shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I mean, that, that is harsh. That's division. And it's not going to be something that they're just going to sit around and discuss over coffee and donuts and be okay with. 
it's going to cause some heated debate. And it's going to cause, go back to Matthew 8, it's going to cause some harshness going on. And, and again, out there in Christendom, they think it's all fluff and guff and, you know, rosy on the other side. No, why, though? Because the adversary is right there. He's right there. And, you know, he's got Israel off in apostasy and, hey, you're going to follow me, you're going to take it in the neck. Here in Matthew 8, from verse 18 to 22, Matthew gives us some responses to his disciples' demands. Now Matthew now is going to go back in verse 23 and deal with some miracles. Okay? But in 18 to 22, in response of the miracles so far, some guys have popped up and said, hey, wait a minute, we want to do this too. So he said, hey, you know what it's going to cost you? Everything to follow me. And if you're not willing and if you're not on board, then you're going to be out of luck. Okay? These two guys, these two disciples come. They want to follow him. And he told them there's going to be a price to pay for all the blessings that you see happening, you want to be a part of that, you want to be, verse 23, and when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. You want to be a part of all this, there's going to be a price to pay, and what you're going to have to pay here isn't going to be something that you think it is. Dad always said, I, you know, Dad's my dad, and, and he said a lot, but still says a lot. But he used to say, he used to make a comment about Guys see him teach and preach, and they think it's easy because he makes it look easy. But what they don't see is the 20 to 40 hours a week of study that goes into a meeting or something, getting ready. And, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, see, I would see him do that. I would see him study. I would see him do, okay? You know, I, I would see him do the work and everything. But it's like you, this, I make it look easy. It's not easy being cheesy. It's not easy. That's what, he just went and healed a bunch of people, and they're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Let's get on. And he's like, no, this is going to cost you. Okay? All right, verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. Uh, who, who are the disciples? Well, that's the guys back up there, um, the people that are willing to sell out and to forsake everything and to follow him. Uh, there are going to be the folks in verse 21 and 22 who are willing, who, who are not willing to put him first. His disciples are willing to put him first. They're willing to come and to be identified with him. So what's going to happen to them? Verse 24, And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came and to him and and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Boy, what a, that's great, a great calm. He got up, and he's, what did he say? Peace be still. And it did it. Demonstrating that he is the creator. And he has control over the creation. So Matthew here, 
He says, hey, Israel's like that leper who needs to come and be made clean. They need to get the message out to the Gentiles who can also come and be cleaned. And then all these blessings are going to go out to everybody. There's a price to be paid if you're going to be his disciple. You have to pay that price. He has to be first. You have to take up your cross and follow him, but he can take care of you. That's where we're at so far. Now, he's going to demonstrate right in front of him that it's not a problem for him to take care of all those who are going to follow him. When he says here that there arose a great tempest, you remember in chapter 7 when the Rain beat on that house built on the rock. Tempest, rain, a type of the tribulation. They're in the, the ship. The, the ship was a resting place. The Lord's asleep. You know what in Peter, he says at the ark, Noah was a like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. That boat the safety in the ark, the little flock, that's the safety. Here's the boat. Get in the boat. Get in the ark. We're going in through the, the storm. This storm, he's asleep. The storm we'll see in Matthew 14, he's not with them on the boat. He walks out to them where he walks on the water. Verse 25. And his disciples came and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And then he says, rebukes the wind there in verse 26, and there was a great calm. You see his power. Imagine being around someone, serving someone, being a follower of someone who could just speak, and the storm settled down, not just a storm, the great storm. See, he was manifesting his power here as creator, which also demonstrate that, hey, I can take care of you. You're in the boat. Here's the boat. You're in it. And there's the storm. And we're going to get through it to the safety of the dock. But the men marveled. That's an understatement, wouldn't you think? <laughs> but the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Who is this guy? Well, hopefully you got written down Psalms 107. If you don't, you should. Go back to Psalms 107. Here he is. Psalms 107, verse 28 and 29. Psalms 107, verse 28 and 29. Then they cry, then they cry unto the Lord, Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Still, <clears throat> he, Jehovah, who, who's down there in the belly of that boat asleep? Jehovah is. So in Matthew 8, you have a great text here in the scriptures that Jesus Christ is Jehovah in the flesh. He's God. That's what you're seeing here. Verse 28. You guys good if we finish? We're right here. We're on the home stretch. 
You guys okay? Take us about 20 minutes, maybe. Maybe. Verse 28. And when he was come to the other side, under the country of the Gergesenes, thank you. I I had it all said, but I'm thinking about the other place. (laughs) The... um, the Gatherings, yeah, that's because Schofield's note here is about the Gatherings. The Gerg- there met him. There met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fear, so that no man might pass by that way. Now, <clears throat> this is passage. This one said it might take us about twenty minutes, but we're good. I'm good. This is a problem text with the Bible correctors. Because when you come over to Mark 5, okay, so hold on to Matthew 8 and look at get Mark 5. The critics point out some problems, and then they may try to make a big deal out of it. But I tell you what, if you believe your Bible to be your Bible and be the Word of God, let it say what it says, let it be right, you be wrong, you'll be okay, okay? In Matthew, there are... Two men possessed with devils that come out. Mark 5, verse 1. And there came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the um, Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So in Mark, one man meets him. And in Matthew, two men meet him. So, is one different than two? Yeah. But let me ask you something. How about the Gadarenes and the Gergesenes? Are they different? The answer is yes. This is two different events. The critics say that the Gergesenes in Matthew 8 is wrong. And and by the way, if you've got a new Bible, it's going to say Gadarene in it. Schofield's got a note on it here. A, B, C, D, E, F. F, Gadarenes, okay, and that's two different places, okay. My name is Charles Richard Jordan III, but I go by Rick. I got two names, or Richard, or Hey You, or Hey Idiot. (laughs) Mr. Bus Driver, (laughs) that's a big one. But see, in Scripture, that's not a problem. If you take, just write down for time's sake, John 6, verse 1, and John 21, verse 1, you see two different names for the Sea of Galilee. One is called the Sea of Galilee. The other one is called the Sea of Tiberias, which is called the Galilee. By the way, there's two more in, in Scripture, and two different, more different names. But what sea are we talking about? the Sea of, the Gal- of Galilee, but we're also talking about the Sea of Tiberias. It has two names. When you come back to 828, you got two different places. Now, when you look on a map, these two places are close to each other. Where are the tombs at? The cemeteries, usually. Are they in the middle of town or are they outside of town? Outside of town, okay? So you've got some, the guys in the graveyard, <laughs> And when he comes up out of the graveyard, what's he doing? He's full of spirit. But there's two of them. 
Mark has one, and that's going to be significant here. By the way, you go read in the Old Testament, like you get in Kings and Chronicles, and you see 4,000 this and 40,000 that, and everybody pitches a fit when they don't understand that if you're going to go to war, you're going to have a few extra in the reserves, okay? Well, here in Matthew, you have to notice what Matthew is focusing on. By the way, also Mark and Luke, because Luke has one guy, okay? Mark and Luke are focusing on the one demonic, while Matthew is going to focus on two. Now, the number two in Scripture is the number of the witness. How many witnesses do you have to have for the testimony to be two? Okay? When Matthew presents the evidence that he's presenting here, the testimony, the dispensational viewpoint of who Christ is, how many branches of Israel are there? Two. Israel and Judah. Ephraim and Judah. Okay? Matthew is presenting the evidence of who Christ is, and he's bringing it to both houses. Mark and Luke are focusing on the individual aspects rather than the dispensational significance to the nation as a whole. Okay? By the way, again, that's why these aren't in chronological order. He's, here's the evidence he's putting on the table. We saw the impeachment stuff here. You know, here's the evidence. Put it on the table. There was nothing on the table, but that's what we're supposed to do, right? Put it on the table. So when you read these, they're not a mistake. Matthew is focusing in on the dispensational viewpoint. Mark and them are focusing in on the individual aspect. So when you read this, Matthew 8, 28, when he came to the other side into the country, okay, there met him two possessed with devils, by the way, type of Israel, coming out of the tombs, they lived among the dead, exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by the way. The nation at this time was supposed to have been the channel of blessing, and yet they were really hindering the blessings to flow. What did they do? Exceeding fear so that no man might what? Pass by the way. You're not going to get the blessing. You're going to stay out. You, you see what's going on there? Okay? I hope. Verse 29, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? They know what's going on. They know what time it is. They know that that tribulation is going to take place. They understand what's going to happen to them. They understand that they're going to be tormented. Look at that. Come hither to torment us before the time. <laughs> they got it. And there was a good way off among from them a herd of many swine feeding. 
So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, again, they know what's coming, don't they? If they cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of the swine. Does the swine bring up something we just read back in chapter 7, verse 6? Don't cast your pearls before the swine type of Israel as the false prophets when we looked at those don't give that which is holy to the dogs <laughs> talking about Israel and that apostate nation the part of it there verse 32 and he said unto them go and when thou were come out they went into the herd of the swine behold the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And again, you go read Luke 8. We, we, spent, we spent like two months talking about the devils and the demonic uh, stuff there in Luke 8 and, the, and their affinity for water. And here you have this picture of the apostate nation going rushing headlong into it. They're not going to be delivered. The Lord Jesus Christ comes, demonstrates his power to deliver them, deliver the men, the nation. Here they are. Bring them out of the, of the, of the possession of Satan, the, the demonic possession. The devils, they want to go into the swine. So what does he do? He delivers the men, the remnant there of the believers. But the devils, the apostate nation, they just rush headlong into the waters of judgment, the tribulation there. Matthew 8 Verse 33, and they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they thanked him and they made him No, What they do to him? They besought him that he would depart out of their coast. They rejected him. He came as one who could, who can deliver the believing nation. He, he's the one that came and brought about some judgment on the apostate nation. And what do they do to him? They see the miracle. They know what happens. They don't want him. They run him out of town. They ask him to leave. By the way, three times he's asked to leave and they're in place in the scripture. Leave. Please leave. Get out. Thus the he depart he would depart out of their coast. Chapter 9, verse 1. He entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. He's going to leave and return to Capernaum, his, his home base. And we'll pick up nine if you're good to go <laughs> next time there. But it's fascinating. These miracles are dispensationally, they're quick. Here's what Israel needed. They needed to be cleaned up, the leper. They needed to be out there giving that message. Here's the blessings. Here's the cost it's going to take you. Here he is, the Messiah, the Creator. There he is. They miss it. 
They don't miss it by a little bit. They miss it by a long shot. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the study of it, the look at it here, and just give you the honor and the glory and the praise in it. In your name we pray. Amen.